You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. Lord, I thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for uh, the ways that you are glorified in our midst, even when things like technology don't work the way we want them to or... um, Whatever, Lord, we just, we just thank you that you take all the mess of our lives, we, all the, the things that sometimes stress us out, and you are completely unbothered and you hold us in your hands. So we thank you, Lord, for holding your people. We thank you for calling us into righteousness. We thank you for being our God. So as we continue unpacking your words, these beautiful teachings of the Sermon on the Mount together, may these words of my mouth And the meditations and thoughts of every one of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Well, last Sunday, there was an announcement at the end of the service that was a lot for me. It was appreciated. I stood in a chair, and um, I am very humbled and grateful to be the lead pastor candidate for Riverside. In a few weeks, I'll say a lot more about that, but today I just want to get to the preaching. Um, And I just want to acknowledge that and say thank you to the elders and the search team. Um, And another thing I want to acknowledge is related to the themes of these last couple weeks. So we've been talking about, uh, with both Adam and Dave, turning the other cheek, going the extra mile, and loving our enemies. These are teachings that are not easy. And uh, it's hard to know what that even looks like. And uh, they've been particularly timely for our community. Uh, As many of you noticed over the last couple weeks that Nate, uh, a person familiar to many of us, has been across the street yelling curses at folks as you walk in the building these past couple weeks. Anyone, if anybody noticed that last week or the week before. Um, Many, including myself, have befriended Nate over the last year. And, uh, but due to his failure to respect some limits we made for him regarding unauthorized entry into the building and repeatedly asking partners for money or donations, we felt we needed to set a boundary and not allow him into the beacon for a while. And in enforcing that boundary, Nate became belligerent, I'll say, uh, and adversarial to the beacon and to Riverside. And I just want to make it clear that we still love Nate. Uh, we've helped him, and we continue to offer to sit down and help him outside of Sunday morning to discuss a way forward. But right now, he's just, just kind of wants to yell, which I understand uh, when you're upset. That sometimes is what you need to do. Um, but I also acknowledge the inherent tension between Jesus' words that we've been unpacking these last couple weeks about loving our enemies. Um, it's hard. It's hard to know what to do. How do you love enemies? How do you turn the other cheek? How do you give, um, how do you set and keep boundaries to protect people? Uh, But given the volume of the vitriol, I felt like I had to address it. Uh, For those of you who had no idea what I'm talking about, sorry about that, but you know, now you know. Uh, But know that Riverside and the Beacon staffs have been praying, praying and praying for Nate, and uh, especially these past few weeks, and really seeking to follow Jesus through this however imperfectly we do it. So that's just an update for all of you, for those who have been concerned. Um, 
one of the many reminders that living into the reality of the kingdom of God as described in the Sermon on the Mount is not easy. Nobody ever said it was easy, but if you thought it might be a little bit easy, not, not, not so easy. The last five weeks, we've seen Jesus over and over again reinstate and clarify the righteousness of the law. But he calls us then into an even greater righteousness in his kingdom, which transforms not just our actions, but our hearts and our intentions. So Jesus doesn't merely want his followers to not break the law, which he does want us to not break the law, but he also desires followers who are perfectly whole, just as their heavenly Father is perfectly whole. So today we're turning from chapter 5 of Matthew to chapter 6, where Jesus calls his followers into that same greater inner righteousness in a different area of our lives of faith, now turning to the personal religious practices of giving, praying, and fasting. So, to get started, let's read from Matthew 6, verses 1 through 6. And then we're going to skip ahead to verses 16 through 18 because in the middle there is the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to take some extra time to look at that. But today, verses 1 through 6 and then 16 through 18. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the... Hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do. For they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who is, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, let's start at the beginning. The first verse, it sets up this whole section and it kind of provides a mission statement for this whole section of text that we're reading today. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Okay. So context always matters in Scripture. You may have heard people poke fun uh, at this idea with quips like, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context, if you've ever heard that phrase. Well, verse 1 here could easily be taken out of context if we don't finish it. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. 
That's not the complete thought. In fact, those words pulled out of context actually, though they're words from the Bible, could be considered unbiblical. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. Why would that be unbiblical? Well, the Bible tells me so. And in fact, the Sermon on the Mount tells me so. Matthew 5.16, which we looked at just not very long ago, says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Does that sound like you're not allowed to practice your righteousness in front of others? No, it doesn't. Jesus commands us to shine our light, practice our righteousness in front of others. We're supposed to do that, actually. But Jesus doesn't talk out of both sides of his mouth, does he? No. He lets his yes be yes and his no be no. Another teaching from this same sermon. Wow. That's full of some good stuff. Okay. He has something very specific in mind in chapter 6, verse 1. Something that requires us to finish the sentence. Be careful not to practice your acts of righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. As we've seen over and over again, Jesus is interested in our actions, of course. But even more, he's interested in our hearts. He's interested in our motives. And he's interested in the types of people we are becoming. And if we are only practicing our righteousness in order to be seen by others, well, in Jesus' words, be careful. That's what he says. If you're only doing it for show, to impress somebody else, be careful. And then he gives three concrete examples. So we're going to unpack those one at a time. Starting in verse 2. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. To really, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Notice, when you give. That's how Jesus starts it. When you give. Giving to the needy is not up for debate. Jesus assumes that all of his followers will in some way give to the needy. Speaking of verses that often get taken out of context, Deuteronomy 15.11, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-hearted towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in the land. Now, our Western cultural culture needs to come up with solutions to every problem it sees. I don't know if you notice this. We like to see a problem and solve it. Maybe you do this. Generally a good thing, right? But when we see that first sentence, there will always be poor people in the land, that sounds like an unsolvable problem, right? And for a lot of us, we're like, well, then what's the point? If I can't fix it, then what's the point? The point is right there in the verse. Because the problem will always be there, we will always need to be open-handed. It's not wasteful to give to the poor. The Bible tells me so. It is generous and it is obedient to do so. Giving to the poor is central to the Jewish faith and it is central to the Christian faith. It is central to what it means to follow Jesus and walk in his steps. But if we know that we're supposed to give and we'd like to impress people for doing what we're supposed to do, some of us like to be impressive, 
Or if we want to build up our reputation as godly people, right? I want people to think of me as godly. Then it might be tempting to let people know about our giving or helping out the poor. It's hard to envision something more obnoxious than announcing with actual trumpets that I'm about to give a big donation. Could you imagine something more obnoxious? Seriously, trumpets. The Honorable Mr. Gates is about to make a big donation to the Beacon Resource Center. You receive that blessing? (laughs) Um, We might not do it that way, right? It might be more tempting for us to subtly mention our charitable giving if we think it might impress somebody. I mean, the humble brag is a real thing, right? Scott McKnight points this out. Uh, This positive illustration of what this might look like from Scripture, suggesting that Matthew 25, 31 through 46 is a great application of this text, where the disciples are surprised on the day of judgment because they weren't aware that their actions were directed at Jesus. It's the story of the sheep and the goats. You may be familiar with this. And Jesus says that the sheep give in secret, and Jesus receives in secret, right? They give in secret, and Jesus receives the gifts in secret, not even letting them know until the final judgment that it was him that they were helping all along. What might it look like for us to live like Matthew 25? Not caring whether somebody sees us, And not caring if the person that we're helping even sees us or knows who we are. Understanding that it's always Jesus. Whenever we help somebody, it's always Jesus. Okay. We don't have time to unpack all of these fully, but we're going to move on to prayer. Okay. The next illustration Jesus gives, starting in verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. We're starting to pick up the rhythm here. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So at this point, I want to point out, since we've read a few few times through here, the rhythm of all of these illustrations from Jesus, okay? You see this rhythm. There's an assumption of a righteous practice. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. That's how Jesus starts all of these. And then there's a call to not be like the hypocrites who do things to be seen by others. Okay? So, an assumption that you're doing good stuff, but also don't do it like the hypocrites do. Third thing, they, the hypocrites, have received their reward in full. Those words are in each one of these examples. And then there's a call for us instead to do our righteous acts in secret and then a promise that the Father will see and reward you. So like if you're too worried about doing it in secret, like, well, then what's the point even? The Father sees. That's important. That's important. So that rhythm, we see it each time with all three of these examples. So that first one, not the first one. Sorry, the second one. The one about hypocrites. Let's, let's talk about hypocrites for a second. 
You may already know that it's not uncommon for Christians actually to be accused of being hypocrites. Anybody ever heard this before? Have you ever? Never? Those who laughed get it, right? Yeah, sometimes people say Christians are hypocrites. And sometimes Christians are in fact hypocrites, okay? Right? We can put that on the table and not get defensive about it. Clearly, Jesus does not intend for his followers to embody hypocrisy. That is not his goal for our lives. Jesus uses the word hypocrite over and over to refer to those people who do what he already said we are not supposed to do. Who do their righteous acts. Do righteous acts, right? They actually do good things, but they do it to be seen by others. Doing good things? Good thing. Doing good things to be seen by others? Not such a good thing. Throughout these illustrations, Jesus uses that word. Hypocrites, hypocrites have the appearance of righteousness, but in fact, only care about that very thing. The appearance, right? They have the appearance of righteousness, and that's the point, to appear righteous. That's all they care about. That's the sort of person about whom one of us might say, yeah, he seems like a pretty good guy, but he's kind of a phony. I might say something like that about a hypocrite. The sort of person who really wants everybody to know that they've done something good. Maybe to prove to you or to, to themselves that they're actually a good person. Might be some in- insecurity in there. The irony, though, is that by obsessing over others' perception of themselves, they assure their own hypocrisy. Right? Just by obsessing over what other people think about us, we, and we, we live for them, and we try to impress them, and we say things that we don't really mean. We don't present an accurate picture of ourselves. It's an easy cycle to become trapped in, especially if others' approval or expectations have an outsized importance to us. Eventually, the full turn to hypocrisy happens when we have no care at all about actually doing good and only whether or not other people think we're doing good. That mindset leads to all sorts of cutting corners, deception, and disconnection from other people and disconnection from God. Of these hypocrites, Jesus says they have received their reward in full. Scott McKnight notes that those words are so powerfully judgmental. To say they have their reward in full is to say that they have no reward from God. They got the good that they wanted, but what they wanted was not good. They got the good that they wanted, but what they wanted was not good. The approval of others. It feels like an important thing to consider as we sort through what Dave spoke about last week. Our own inner tension between our fleshly desires and our will to contemplate and consider alternatives. Is what we want in life truly good? If we're truly living in the kingdom of God that Jesus is inviting us into, the answer will be a resounding yes. But often we settle for inferior desires and wants, right? But we have one more illustration to get to that Jesus talks about. One that's particularly relevant in this Lent season, and that is 
fasting. So starting in verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see that rhythm, those five points again coming through, right? Before I talk about fasting, I want to make one disclaimer. Um, Millions of people suffer from eating disorders, right? None of this conversation about fasting is intended to make anyone feel any sort of shame about your relationship with food, okay? I just want to point that out at the outset. You should never feel less than if you don't fast, especially if that's in the interest of your own health. So please, friends, don't feel pressured to fast, but feel free to take care of yourselves, okay? I'm starting with that. But with that, Jesus does talk about fasting, right? And once again, we see the contrast between deeds done to show others and those done in secret. In giving, praying, or now fasting, if it's done to impress others, or is it done in devotion to God? And I haven't talked at all very much about this phrase, in secret. Because Jesus says to do all of these things in secret. And I suggest that we don't get too caught up in the idea of having to do this in secret, literally. We want to do it in secret because we don't want to be show-offs, right? But keeping secrets can, can not be healthy, right? Right? Keeping secrets can be an, a very unhealthy thing, right? So it's not about an unhealthy secrecy. The fundamental issue is not whether people know about our righteous acts. We're not like trying to make sure nobody ever knows about our righteous acts, like making sure that everything is in place so nobody ever knows. It's about our motives at the heart level, right? It's about our motives. If someone offers me food on a day that I'm fasting, I'm not obligated to lie in order to keep it a secret, right? It's okay to let somebody know you're you're fasting for like practical reasons, okay? And it, it might even also be a way that might encourage the other person to give fasting a try, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That doesn't necessarily tarnish your motives. But, if I schedule a lunch on a day that I'm fasting just so I can impress other people with my holiness, that's not holy at all, right? Plus, it's super awkward. Hey, how are those potatoes? They look really good. What's that? Oh, no, 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 thanks. I'm fasting. Yeah, no, no, it's just something I do because I'm better than you. Let's be clear. Fasting might be hard, but there's nothing heroic about fasting, okay? We shouldn't be trying to impress people with fasting on Tuesdays, right? Fasting during a season like Lent, it can be a beautiful way to face your sin and turn to God, but it's a pretty normal, non-glamorous Christian practice, okay? We might need this reminder, though, because some of us are really caught up in being motivated by impressing other people. It's about turning to God, not about impressing anybody else. So this is Jesus' emphasis here in our passage. Well, we're talking about fasting already. I want to point out another type of fasting that the Bible talks about even more than fasting based on the calendar. And that is fasting in response to sacred or grievous moments. There's a lot of fasting in the Bible in response to sacred moments 
or grievous, harmful moments. If you look at David in Psalm 35, he fasts, it says he fasts on behalf of his enemies. Listen to this. Ruthless witnesses come forward, his enemies. They question me on things I know nothing about. They repay the evil for good. They repay me evil for good. They leave me like one bereaved. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. That is, David talks about fasting in response to being persecuted by somebody else. Fasting in behalf of the person, the people who are willing hurt on him. For even ruthless people, David fasts. Or we see in Nehemiah, after Jerusalem's wall is rebuilt and the scriptures are read once again, the people respond by confessing their sins and by fasting. And you see this over and over and over in scripture. When something terrible or something amazing happens, we fast. Fasting is sometimes the correct response when we have no words. Sacred, glorious moments to be celebrated or tragedies to be grieved. Fasting would be an appropriate response to the news this past week of another horrific shooting at another school. Taking the lives of beautiful children and selfless, loving school leaders. If you struggle to know how to respond to stuff like that, if you're emotionally on edge or overwhelmed to the point of tears or to the verge of shutting down completely, fasting can be a way to enter into the grief of God. Fasting can be a way to enter into the grief of God. And it won't fix the problem, fasting, but it might help us get on the same wavelength as God, the one who is also absolutely heartbroken about what has happened. Sometimes fasting, pulling ourselves out of our normal routines of satiating ourselves whenever we need it can cause us to enter into God's presence in a new way. Okay, I think I mentioned earlier that I would come back to the idea of reward. So I'm going to. So verses 4, 6, and 18 all say the same thing. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay? You may read this and just be overflowing with gratitude. Yes, about to get some rewards from my father, right? Somebody's pretty excited about that, right? But I suspect some of you may also have like a motive question. A question that Jesus has actually asked us to ask again and again about our motives. When we follow the law or do righteous things, give prayer fast, what is our motive? How many of us would find it a little weird to think of reward as a motive? You have a hard time with that? We have this idea, some of us, that every good deed should come from some pure altruistic motive, right? If I do something to get something, that it's not a good thing anymore, right? Anybody? Not just me, okay. Um, we can do things for a reward to an extent, right? A paycheck is a really nice reward for doing my job, right? Um, Enough tickets to buy a pack of Fun Dip is a really great reward at Chuck E. Cheese, right? I mean, come on. It's a pretty great reward, right? It's absolutely right to not want to have a purely transactional relationship with God the Father, right? We don't want to just have a transactional relationship with God. If we're only following God to get something from Him, that is not 
our heart is not centered in the right place, right? We certainly don't want to approach God trying to earn his love or his mercy with our great good deeds, right? But Jesus has set up an either-or in all these scenarios to force us to ask this question. Are we motivated by a desire for the approval of others or do we care only to please God? Are we motivated by a desire to impress others or are we motivated by a desire to please God and God only? Not to appease God, right? Not to goody-two-shoes our ways into his good graces, but to actually please God with our lives. And I probably don't have to tell you this, but our rewards have been front-loaded as followers of Jesus. Our rewards have been front-loaded and back-loaded, right? Simply by openly receiving it, you and I get the awe-inspiring, transcending, incomparable gift of God's mercy, grace, forgiveness, and freedom through Jesus Christ. Amen? Simply by receiving it, we get all of that. And I say it's back-ended as well because we don't even know what that, all that even looks like until some future date when we get to experience it in full. And that's going to be incredible. But these stories suggest, these little stories that Jesus has told right here for us today, they suggest to us that when we live to please him and him only, even more rewards await. I don't, I don't know what they are. Some people talk about jewels in the crown. I, don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not really a jewelry guy, so I'm not sure how excited I am about that. But like, if God the Father promises me even more rewards await, I kind of want them. Anybody else? I mean, I don't want them at the expense of somebody else, but I mean, if, if God's just giving them out, rewards are great. It's mind-boggling. So we got to always search our hearts, right? We've got to search our hearts and keep our motives in check. But seeking the rewards of God in contrast to the reward of recognition from others, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to seek the rewards of God. It can be a wonderful thing because God desires to give good gifts to his children, does he not? God desires to give good gifts to his children. It is God's delight to reward our faithfulness, but for him to do that, for him to do that, we have to refuse the vastly inferior gift of the applause of others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. for your incomparable gifts of mercy and grace and forgiveness and healing and freedom. That in Jesus we are invited into this kingdom that is whole and perfect and beautiful. It demands something of us, but it also fills us with more than we can comprehend. So Lord, help us to set our eyes on you today. 
Not on others, not on their approval, but on you. The one who gives life, the one who holds us in our hands, in your hands. The one whose mercy knows no bounds. Lord, receive our praise as we receive your good gifts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.